Militer di Myanmar dan Papua sama saja Tak puas serang warga dan tak pula sayang nyawa Kan tak pula saat malam yang berpulang akan datang Lihat kepulan nasa pada di kumpulan narak masa Yang dapat teratur Berdek tangan berbaur Gerak nasib berangsur Dan dibayar langsung palan tangan ke udara Kepala tegak penuh harap jalan Luar sangkaran kajangkar Kami muak dengan mereka yang barbar Kami sasar sampai dasar Api dalam rimah siap bakar Mereka makar main kasar Militen naik pasar ibu taltar Kami bongkar sampai akar Rima pakar dari antar Pembuat bar untuk Myanmar We all know how serious and dreadful the current situation is in Myanmar. And for those of us outside the country, it can be difficult to know how to help. Fortunately, we found a reliable way to get funds to those who need it most. And any donations that you give on our platform will now be directed immediately to help the protesters. Just go to insightmyanmar.org donation to contribute today. Or stay tuned to the end of the episode to hear more options. Thanks for your consideration. And now let's get on to the interview that follows. It's living on sawdust and shrimp paste to save for diamonds. It's being a tabuna in a bamboo jupe thinking how dainty I am. It's being a haystack fire flaring suddenly, fading out swiftly. It's aching for the aunt from the embrace of the mother. What's your key, majority and minor C or minority and major D? Cease fire in flat B or cease identity in sharp G. Give me a falsetto. Let's improvise. No need for harmony. What would you choose? Want. Rage or ignorance? Defeatism or maldevelopment? An increase in viral load or a decrease in internet speed? Sexual preoccupation or self-denial? Power cuts or power crazes? A bag of rice or an ounce of democracy? Myopic blightness, escapist wizardry and alchemy? Syncretization of incompatibilities, internalization of irreconcilabilities? The four noble truths, the four oaths. The menu is endless, the die's been cast. Your karma is you, life, short, suffering, tall, plenty of water, no fish, no fish at all.
All right. I'm really pleased to be joined here by Eight. He's an artist musician that was born and raised in Myanmar and has been making music for around eight years, uh, along with that music, some animation and videos for over a decade. And going to check in with him a bit about his musical background and some of the work he's done during the coup. So, Eight, thanks so much for joining us here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, so let's get right to it. You are, some of your music is hip-hop, rap, which I love. Uh, let's get into how you started to get interested in that medium. What were some of your earliest rap memories and influences of how you fell in love with that art form? Uh, my earliest memory of listening to rap hip-hop would be when I picked up a Eminem CD, like, when I was, like, a kid, and... I didn't even understand the lyrics back then, but I just fell in love with like the energy of the whole genre. And from then on, I just kind of browsed around the internet and mm-hmm. found a couple artists I like. And now I'm heavily influenced by artists like Kanye, Kendrick Lamar, and other underground SoundCloud artists like Little Peep, X, Ghost May, etc. Hmm. So at the time that you found Encore by Eminem, you were in Myanmar at that time? Uh, yes. Yeah, and was it relatively easy to find that kind of music then, or was it was it difficult to get access? It, it was quite easy. Like there, uh, there mm. were a lot of like bootleg CDs just in like City Mart. Right, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I had a lot of bootleg CDs. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, my first what I, I first fell in love with hip hop through uh, Tupac's "All Eyes on Me." That just blew uh, me away. Yeah, never heard anything like that. It just hit me like a tour de force, and you know, just got that CD, that double album. I think it was made in like you know three days. He made it right when he got out of prison, and yeah. from there, just just went into everything else. So you um, you started with Encore. What tracks on there really called out to you? Uh, I think there's a track called "Just Lose It." <laughs> that really like uh, caught caught my attention. I I don't like back then. It was just like the energy of the the track, I guess, because I've never heard like and that type of music before. Until mm-hmm. I yeah, until I was listening to Eminem. Right around that time, you know, I know the early hip hop. There was like Sai uh, Sai, I think, and um, Help Me Out. Who was the other like early rapper? Uh, that Jamie. was uh, Yep. Mm-hmm, yeah. Right. So, w- were those guys doing their stuff around that time, or or were you? Did you listen to Encore before they were really on the scene, or w- were their styles just too different? Um, I listened to Encore before they were on the scene, and I think like maybe a few years later they they came onto the scene. Like, uh, I know Sai Sai has some like song uh, Eminem songs that like he like um, sang back in like a Burmese. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it was definitely before. Right, That and that reminds me, we were just talking to Side Effect, Darko from Side Effect, and he was talking about, for his genre of indie music, one of the things that he wanted to do in making his kind of music was to be original, and how a lot of the music in the early 2000s were all just kind of... Um, 
they were uh, they were Burmese versions of like 80s and 90s American and British music. And so what was the early hip hop scene like? Was there original hip hop and rap or was it uh, was it somewhat similar that it was just copies, just literal translations of the American artists or how was that? Uh, there were definitely some original rap songs that mm-hmm. I heard from Burmese artists. Like uh, Jamie has some really like good original songs. And but I think like during back in the day at least the majority of them were like copy songs. Yeah. Right. What was some of that early Burmese hip hop that was coming around, say, 10 years ago? Or actually, I guess I should ask you, where, where, what would you date as the origins of Burmese hip hop and real bands and rappers starting to form? I guess uh, for Burmese hip hop, maybe the scene like started taking off around, let me, let me think, um, like around early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's when like hip hop was starting to get a name for itself here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So that was well in advance of where the reform started. So there was hip hop, which is hip hop has traditionally been very political and yes. very much in raw forms, uh, telling, uh, speaking about the reality and the conditions that people are living in and speaking out against various injustices. And you referenced this early Burmese hip hop coming 10 years before there was any freedom in the country. So what was the kind of hip hop that was being made at that time? What were, were some of the rappers taking some risks and speaking out or were they being creative and kind of speaking between the lines or were they just doing more like the garden pop variety and not really going anywhere controversial? I mean, definitely there were artists that were speaking like between the lines, like not like, cause there were a lot of censorship back in the day and like, there were artists like speaking around these censorships, but I think the majority of it was like just focused on like put like putting out a hit like based on like the censorships that there were at the time. And what were the kinds of messages they were putting out there when they were pushing the envelope a little bit? Uh, I mean, you know, <laughs> definitely like not happy with like the political um, situations during the time. Um, Maybe like uh, some songs, I forgot what song, but like around like the Saffron Revolution time, there were songs about the Saffron Revolution that were being addressed, but not mm-hmm. like like not like point blank, you know, like um, it, like yeah. Right, and then yeah. as the reform started, did that cause a change in the hip hop scene? Oh, definitely. I think it caused a change in um, all the scenes. I think people were more open towards like just posting whatever they wanted. And art was, I I felt like art here became a little more free. Hmm. Like after, um, like we supposedly got democracy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. So what kinds of new freedoms in art did you start to see around that time? Definitely uh, more more political uh, art 
and more art that wouldn't have like people were more create uh express uh expressing themselves more creatively mm-hmm. from what I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I guess like people were more accepting of art from what I saw. Right. And then when you look at hip hop in general, how did you, what did you start seeing in the change on the scene of what Burmese rappers started doing around that time? Sorry, uh, I didn't, I didn't catch that. Oh, in terms of um, particularly looking at the, the hip hop medium, how did that specifically start to change and what the Burmese rappers were doing? Oh, um, one thing um, I saw was that, um, I think a lot of like Burmese hip hop artists became more original. And I think this was due to the fact that like we had like better access to the internet. Uh, and like, you know, we have all these tools to learn from the internet, like YouTube. And I think with that, like came like a new wave of like original producers and artists that, um, didn't want to like copy other artists and like make a name off of someone's work. And like, I think because of like these reforms, like um, we had more like creativity being shown. Mm, so with more influences, those influences were then used to try to work on one's art form and with more freedom, there, there was more ability with what one can do to express oneself and push the envelope in controversial ways. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, did you find there was any instances in the 2010s where um, hip hoppers or, or rappers or just artists in general pushed the envelope too far where they, they thought there was a kind of freedom and expression, but then they got into trouble by going beyond the conventional bounds? Uh, I'm, I'm sure there was some cases. I just can't think of any at the top of my head right now. Mm, right, because this is kind of this is a time when there's this uh, attempt at these freedoms being made, but you know there's there's background of so many decades where they haven't been in place, and so yeah. it's a kind of tentative step forward, step back. And what I'm asking as well because I re- in a recent podcast I reference this incident from the 2010s. I'm not sure if you knew of it. It was where there was an art exhibition, and it was the uh, artists were given a theme. These were all local artists. And they were given a theme of highlighting some of the problems of pollution in Yangon. And one artist drew a picture of a, a tradition, the, the historical Buddha sitting in meditation in modern day Yangon. And he was wearing a gas mask to illustrate how bad the pollution had been. I'm not sure if you saw this painting or knew about the controversy, but it became quite controversial to depict the Buddha in uh, in a non-traditional way, simply wearing a gas mask to highlight the pollution. And there were immediate calls for censorship and even punishment of the artist by the people, not by any authorities, but by the people for desecrating the religion. So to me, that was a really interesting moment of how these tentative freedoms were kind of being pushed forward and then pushed back. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like Buddhism here is quite a touchy uh, subject and like people really get offended if you like use the image of Buddha in like ways they deem like is not respectable. And what are your thoughts on that in terms of where religion comes into play with creative expression? Um, like personally, I feel like everything should be able to be criticized if you're not um, 
like if you don't like it and that that includes a religion as well mm-hmm. personally um i'm a buddhist myself but i don't really believe in like the spiritual side i believe in the lessons that i've learned from buddhism such as karma and meditation mm-hmm. yeah but um i don't believe in like taking that extreme of a measure to like censor um censor art right and then there scenario. yeah then there was that really famous case that brought music and Buddhism into direct conflict where there was that, I think it was like a nightclub and it was like a, an Australian or a New Zealand oh, yeah, I, co-owner. I, I remember that one, yeah. Yeah, tell, tell us about that. Tell us what happened. Oh, yeah. I Basically, I think like uh, he used like an image of Buddha or like he he named the bar Buddha bar or something along those lines. And then he, he basically used the name of Buddha to uh, promote his bar and like people got really offended by that. Yeah, well, he got put in prison for the better part of a year. Yeah. And he had, and it wasn't just the name. I think he had the image of the Buddha with, with uh, headphones, you know, around his ears yeah. to show that. And that was, and it's really interesting contrasting that example with the artistic example because I think the first example, you know, that is a little crass and it's commercial, and and I do understand why it would offend the sensibilities. The latter example of just highlighting pollution by showing that even if the Buddha were to come and live in present-day Yangon, that we've so destroyed the environment and the air that even the Buddha would need a gas mask to breathe. And, you know, that was, that to me just really seemed like a, 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 uh, an artistic expression of, of trying to, uh, and not even anything that was against uh, the, the Buddha or the Buddhist teachings or Buddhism itself, but really just highlighting how even the most revered figure among those Buddhists in our society would not breathe healthily in what we've done to the environment today. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I do, I do agree with your points. I, I, I think that case went too too far. But yeah, yeah. The, the the bar thing, like uh, you know, yeah, I can understand why people got mad over it. Mm, right. So you reference yourself as being as as not being into some parts of Buddhism, but the two parts you reference that you are into are. Uh, karma and, and meditation practice. Can you share a bit more about how your beliefs in karma have manifested in your life or even in your artwork? I mean, for karma, I believe that, like, you know, what goes around comes around. And I, I just want to treat everybody how I want to be treated. And that's how I go about with my everyday life. I try to uh, be good to others and have good come upon me. So it's like yeah. the golden rule. Yeah, the golden rule, basically. Hmm. And yeah. have you have you done meditation in your background? Have you gone to courses or certain traditions that you're in? Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I meditate uh, here and there. Uh, I've been uh, I've been like a monk when I was a child, which is like a pretty common thing for Burmese males to go through. Before the age of thirteen, they just go to a monastery for like a week and become a monk. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I was basically, I okay, I wasn't forced, but like, it was, it's just like a really common thing to do. Like, um, it's like a rite of passage almost for Burmese males to go to like, you know, a monastery and like, just become a monk and like, the meditation just happened while I was there. And then I, they taught me how to meditate and like just, I had to wake up, um, I think like 5am every morning and you wake up, you meditate, you eat breakfast, you walk and like you, you go get like food 
two donations. And then um, after uh, before like, after 12, you can't eat anymore. And you kind of just like meditate throughout the whole day. And what yeah, meditation did they teach you? Was it like the slow walking or observing the belly rising and falling? Or what uh, What was the exact, the, the, the exact uh, technique you learned there? The exact technique I learned there was just to sit still and kind of just like focus on my breath. Mm, so like Anapana. Yeah. yeah. Mm, and you've continued with that afterwards? Yes. Yeah. Right. Well, that was that Mahasa, that was the Mahasi Sasanayeta you were at? Uh, yes, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the historic one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Right. Yeah. So, um, right. So getting, um, so it's great to hear a bit about your background in music and, and artistic sensibility, like in the 2010s and a bit of where Burmese hip hop came from. So moving to February 1st and post coup, what have you seen about the role and the importance that art in general has been playing this year? Uh, okay, so art, I believe, is like the driving force behind all these protests. As in, um, I feel like art like kind of motivates people to protest more and shows other people that they're not alone in their struggles. And I feel like that's important at a time like this when everything just feels like it's like complete shit <laughs> and... You know, like it's it's good to hear someone else is going through the same struggles as you, and it's, it's good to feel that you're not alone. Mm, what kinds of art have you seen this year since the coup? Definitely, like uh, protest art, like a lot of um, music uh, music videos that highlight, you know, the situation that's happening here. Um, if if you've checked out the rap against Junta page, um, they there's this Milk Tea Alliance rap that I think was done pretty well, which uh, I helped edit um, for the video. Um, it's like a, a bunch of rappers from the Milk Tea Alliance from like Taiwan, uh, Thailand, India, Myanmar, and they come together to rap about the political injustices happening in their countries. Mm, right. So can you tell us a bit about what is this Rap Against the Junta? How was it formed and what's the purpose? What are the activities going on with it? Uh, so Rap Against Junta is a group of just artists, graffiti artists, um, dancers, hip-hop artists that basically come together and release work that Rap Against the Junta. Um, hmm. um we're all like, I guess, online friends. There's like someone that leads the rap against Hunter, but like basically we're all online friends and like we kind of just help each other out and just release stuff under this one, I guess, label type thing. Hmm. Yes. Right. So it's very it's a very diverse collection of yeah, yeah, all different yeah, kinds of art forms that. Yeah. Mm, wow, that's that's really cool. And do people submit their own independent things through here? Are there collaborations that take place? Yeah, the collaboration, as I was saying, was like the Milk Tea Alliance collaboration. That's one of the collaborations I'm aware mm -hmm. of. Uh, personally, like I submitted my stuff as eight eight two zero two one to Rap Against Hunter, and like that's where I released it from. And there are other stuff in store as well that I know that they're working on. 
Mm, great. Yeah. So that's the name you've taken this this um, six digit uh, label. What what is the meaning of these six digits? I mean, it's like the two important Burmese states um, that you know the 1988 mm-hmm. uprising and now I guess the 2021 uprising. Mm, so you took yes. those years to those years, yeah. put them together to form your your musical name. Yes. Yeah, and what do you see as similar in these two uprisings, and also what do you see as different? Okay, what I see similar is like definitely I feel like the military are using like the same old tricks. I feel like you know, like because my parents' generation they've been through the nineteen eighty eight uprising and stuff, and they uh, they tell me about how like this 2021 uprising is quite similar in the ways that the, uh, in the techniques that the military used to intimidate us. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the difference between the two dates would be that now we have a powerful tool, which is social media and, and the, just the internet in general. And I feel like through that we can have, we can plan out our defense or like, our uprising a bit better and I am hoping that we will win one day <laughs> mm. yeah mm, right you also referenced that this series of numbers is not just referring to dates but also has another meaning can you tell us about that oh uh, yes yeah. so this uh, series of numbers is also like um, it's the hex number color number uh, for like dried blood it's like red it's the mm-hmm. hex color for red, kind of like dark red, and I it it reminds me of dried blood, and I've seen like a lot of images of dried blood throughout like February first and onwards, and that's it's kind of like a tribute to everyone that's died because of the coup. Yeah, so this is kind of like a color that unfortunately is seared in the mind. And so that color then becomes part of the name. And speaking about images that are seared in the mind, you're not just doing uh, songs, which we'll get to in a moment, but you're also doing videos and animations, which encourage listeners to check out. And you had mentioned that part of your practice and how you put these videos together is based on some of these images that you can't get out of your mind. So can you say a little about what those images are and how you went from these things that you saw that were traumatizing and troubling, and then you actually took them and repurposed them for your own music? Definitely. I mean, first off, like I've never seen so many dead bodies in my life. Like Every time Mm -hmm. I would scroll through Instagram or Facebook, especially during like the beginning, like, like around maybe like March, April, I would see so many dead bodies on my feet. And it, it just like angered me. Like it, it angered me so much that I wanted to put it out into a form of art that I can use to express my anger, basically. Mm, right. Are there particular images that have stuck in your mind more than others? One... One in, one video that I saw that really stuck with me is like um, there was a video of this cop and he's surrounded by other cops and this this one cop he has a gun out and uh, a rifle out I think and he's like 
he shot a target and the police around him started cheering. Oh. Like indicating like maybe like, you know, he hit a body and then like they all ran towards the body and it just like sickened me to see how yeah. they were using like human beings as like live target practice. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know what to say to that. And I, I don't know what it must be like living in a society where you see this mentality playing out in front of you, people that you you thought were part of the collective society before. How, however, you know, not to be naive or to, um, uh, to, to we, we've known what the military has, has been, you know, now and before, but this is another level to see that you have people among your society that are carrying out organized terror and murders and that are cheering over it. I, I can't imagine the effect that would cause. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, um, it, yeah, every day, like, I just feel angry and sad, but also ho- hopeful that, you know, hopefully this is the last time that any of us here will go through this. Hmm. And I think what's interesting, you know, when you talk again about the difference between 88 and now, this example, this anecdote we've just talked about here is kind of a microcosm that you're taking these images and these videos that are deeply troubling to you, that are traumatizing, you know, that are bringing out pain and sadness and anger and everything else. And you're repurposing them in a matter of days into an art form. And this is not something that I really ever saw before. And I think that part of that can definitely be technology, that that sharing is easier and there's more technological means. But that can't be the only thing going on because there are non-technological forms of art that, that you can do at any time. I think this also points to a different kind of attitude in relating to this, that in the past, these instances, the trauma would cause a kind of silencing and repression and um, wanting to, uh, and, and submission almost. And now these are not the responses that we're seeing, or at least this is one of the things I'm thinking as I hear how you and others have responded versus how we've seen responses in 07 and 88. But what's your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I would, yeah. I, I think going back to the internet point, I really feel like we all are connected through this like shared trauma and like, in that sense, we're encouraged and we have we get courage from each other, and that's why mm-hmm. I feel like you can see a lot more of these type of art forms online, and also it's just easier to share. Sure. Nowadays, yeah. Right, and spread of information. I mean, before yeah. there might be a hundred students that were killed, and even in Myanmar, they would hear about that over the course of weeks and even years to come. What exactly happened? And yeah, exactly. With, yeah. Not that we get perfect information now, but it's certainly there's um, not only are we hearing what's happening, but we're seeing test. You know, we're hearing testimonials, getting pictures and videos, and and sometimes it's not all completely accurate when it's happening in the moment, but it's certainly painting a more immediate picture of not just what happened, but the response to what happened in ways that have never occurred before. Yeah, definitely. And like, you know, like during these protests, like I remember one protest, like uh, because of this fast spread of information, I, uh, we, we know like when, sometimes we know beforehand when like the military is going to show up and we all hmm. just leave at once. And like, in that sense, it's a little bit safer than maybe it would have been in 88. So do you think that the people and the protesters are a little bit ahead of the military in terms of how to use technology and, and art for its benefit? Uh, definitely. 100%. Mm. 
I feel I feel very proud of like my country for that, and I I feel hopeful that you know I feel hopeful knowing that the fight isn't over. Like constantly mm-hmm. seeing like these art forms coming up. Right. So the fight not being over is directly related to this art form encouraging the morale to keep on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And going back to your videos, you also have aimed for kind of a minimalistic style. Uh, can you share more about how you have formed that style and the reasons for it? Oh, so basically I just, I just wanted to get straight to the point, like with my videos, uh, also in my videos, I rap in English because I already feel like there's a lot of Burmese hip hop that's encouraging the morales of people here. And, but I wanted to rap in English because I wanted to share our stories to like a Western audience or like an international audience. And I use like very minimal colors because I wanted it just to be straight to the point. Very like the most like straight to the point footages I can find. I just compiled it into one product and yeah. Mm, Right. So there's a couple of songs that you produced and we'll listen to them here, but because the videos and the animation and the, um, the color scheme that you've used in it is, is also so important with your art. We definitely encourage listeners to go on YouTube and check this out themselves so they can just see the actual videos of it. But let's take a listen to some of the songs, which because they're in English, our listeners can also understand. So the first one we can listen to is a song called Lee Ku 199. Can you set this up for us, what this song is about? So Lee Ku is basically about the coup. Lee and Burmese is basically dick, but like if you combine it with another word, it's like, it kind of means like, fuck, like fuck the coup. Lee coup, mm-hmm. fuck the coup. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's basically my thoughts on just like what's happening with the crew and like basically just me expressing like, oh, I, I can't believe this is happening. And me expressing my uh my views towards the coup and my anger towards the coup. Mm, right. And then the, what, what is the significance of the 199? Okay. So Lee 199, like I said, you know, Lee is like, fuck. Um, uh, 199 is the number you use here to call, call for the police. It's not like nine, it's like 911, but in, in Myanmar is 199. Mm. And uh, basically what I'm trying to say with the song is that before we we used to depend on like the police to help us get out of trouble, but you know like who who do we call right now when like the police are the ones giving us the trouble and like just giving us hell on earth? It's like there's there's no one to depend on but ourselves. Yes. Um. So basically, you know, I I was upset about the coup happening, and I I look I took a lot of key moments from the coup and try to think about uh, imagery and lyrics that would match it. For example, uh, I have this one, I saw this one video about just like a monk having like a, I think like a crowbar or like some sort of like stick and just going Mm -hmm. around cracking windows, which was basically set up by the military. And I, I addressed 
this by saying about how like these fake prophets are spouting hate and, mm. and the military is basically calling it religion. Mm-hmm. And, and this is like my anger towards like the military just using religion as kind of like a tool of control mm-hmm. and a tool to like say like, oh yeah, what we're doing is right. And I have like more comments like this on the, on the song that I use, uh, I, that I wrote in the song. Mm, right. And of course what they're doing, they're not, the military is not only using religion as a tool yeah. for control of the people, but if you flip that on its head in the inverse, it's also perverting the very essence of that religion itself. Exactly. And yeah. So yeah, I mean, when you talk about like your experiences at Mahasi and, and your, the way you grew up with understanding of cause and effect and karma and your time as a monk and the meditation you learned at the, at the monastery there, this is um, not only is there perversion controlling uh, tr- trying to control the people through these means, but it's also doing incredible damage to these beautiful teachings. Exactly. Hmm. Right. So with that, let's go ahead and take a listen to Liku. basically what the song is about mm, right I, hearing that i can't help but think of nwa's fuck the police yeah i mean like <laughs> i you know both of the songs are basically saying fuck the police i def i i mean i didn't make the immediate uh connection to it i just i first made it and i'm like oh okay you know like this is kind of similar to the message of nwa's fuck the police Mm, right, okay, well, let's listen to it. Paranoid, one double nine on my mind. This a crime, this a crime. Two years for a line. That's some fuck shit. Uh, they watch your volume on the low, low. Yeah, we be hiding from the pole. Who do we call? 
So that was Lee 199, and that's a song referring to the fact that when Burmese today are trying to call the emergency number for help, those authorities that they would normally be picking up the phone are the ones that are actually terrorizing them and that there's, there's no safety anywhere. This social contract has been flipped on its head. So in doing this, um, uh, in, uh, after releasing the song, have you had, uh, has there been any kind of response that you've heard or critical feedback? Um, so for, for Lee Ku and Lee 199, I actually had it, uh, shown in museums in Australia. Oh. Yeah. Um, so Myanmar, I don't know if you're familiar with Myanmar. So basically it's a museum, which sadly is closed now, but it's, it used to be like a museum that, uh, promotes like modern Burmese art. And they basically got in touch with some Australian museums and um, they showcased my work, Lee Coop and Lee 199 at the museum. Oh, that's great. So have you heard from the Australian museum goers what they what they think of it? Uh, they said it's a strong piece of work that really mm-hmm. details what, what happens, what's happening mm-hmm. in Myanmar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So in these songs that you've been producing since the coup, do you have any concern for your personal safety? Definitely have concerns for my safety. Um, that's, that's the whole reason I am using a new alias to release my work and also why I am releasing stuff under Rap Against Hunter. Because mm-hmm. I know a lot of friends that are in jail because of these political activities. And I know this is going to be a long fight and I don't want to compromise my identity because I want to keep fighting. Mm-hmm. Right. You referenced that your rap is in English. I assume you're going to continue in uh, rapping in English going forward so that you can be heard and understood abroad. Is there anything you could tell us about some of the projects you're working on now? Uh, definitely. I I'm, uh, I, I have an upcoming song called, uh, I don't have a name for it yet. Maybe it'll be called B-M-A-L, which is, you know, male line the bastards that did the coup. Um, mm-hmm. So I might have a song about that, that I did with a friend coming up. Ah, right, right. And you reference how you're doing a lot of your art in English. There's also a lot of hip hop that's coming out in Burmese. For our international audience, They, some people might have heard some of those tracks, but it's much harder to understand. And especially when it comes to hip hop, because hip hop traditionally just the, the wordplay and the um, the innuendos and, and the cultural understanding that's needed to really be able to understand hip hop. I mean, you know, you take American hip hop songs, I'd play them for my mom, she wouldn't be able 
people to understand anything just because they're so embedded in a certain kind of culture and language. So what can you tell us about the Burmese hip-hop art forms that are coming out since the coup? What, how are they expressing themselves? What are they saying? What, uh, what language are they bringing to their expression? Okay, so the, the type of hip-hop coming out uh, these days is definitely all like, uh, all based on like the coup and the experiences of the coup. I feel like, especially right now, people don't want to be releasing any sort of other form of art form that isn't coup related because it kind of, mm. it doesn't feel right, mm. especially right now. Like a lot of people are struggling, a lot of people are dying. And it doesn't feel right to like, maybe like throw out like a party banger or something. Sure. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of these songs I see is basically just like protesting the military and expressing the views on like the coup. Mm, right. And certainly there's a power in hip hop. You know, as we talked about earlier, hip hop has a, you talk about when you first heard Eminem's encore for me, it was um, Tupac, all, all Eyes on Me. There's just a, a raw force and power in not only the language that's being used, but the expression of the beat of how it's being said. And so much of it historically is talked about injustice and oppression and uh, reclaiming one's own rights and freedoms and whatever form they're being infringed on. So in all of the art forms that one is producing now, hip hop to me seems like such a powerful medium to be able to just uh, unadulterated, be able to express what one is feeling with it. So I wonder your thoughts on uh, what, what you're seeing of, uh, of the potential of what hip hop could be doing in this current moment. Definitely. Uh, but yeah, like you said, uh, hip hop has always had like a political history and I feel like it is, well, in my opinion, it is the best art type of like music yeah. to express these, um, struggles that we're having, these struggles with oppression and all that. And I feel like I, I'm just going to reiterate the points I had before, but I really do feel like hip hop or just any type of music can really feel uh, feel help you feel motivated to fight back. And mm. with me personally, like hip hop has so much energy that whenever I listen to a track uh, like dissing like the military or whatever, I I feel I feel very energized and motivated. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I gotta make another song. I gotta I gotta release another song about the military so that other people can feel motivated and fight back as well. Mm, right. So what do you think is the role of the artist in this revolution going forward? Because on one hand, you've had to take a new name. You're concerned about your safety. There's uh, th there's no safety anywhere right now in terms of what's going on. If there, there's no celebrity standing of whether it's humanitarian work or being an artist or whatever that protects one um, in usually the other way around, one is exposed in that way. And so artists have to balance their own personal safety with a kind of courage, artistic courage to what they're trying to produce and to keep producing and especially produce during those lower ebbs because this is a war of attrition. And one of the things that is 
trying to be built and attacked on either side is morale, is the morale, the momentum, the belief yeah. and the and the feeling. And that morale can go up and down on both sides. And we've certainly seen on the people side, there's been times of high morale and there's been times of a lot of kind of periods of collective hopelessness and despair and, and such. And that's where the artist can really come in. But as you've said, this is, this is going to be going on for some time and artists have their own personal safety to also be able to manage. And of course, everyone has to, has to live and the economy is not doing so well right now. So this is a lot for, this is a heavy role for the Burmese artists to take on at this time. What are your thoughts on how the, these incredible younger Burmese artists are stepping into this moment and what it is they can do to continue to play a role while respecting this balance uh, as things go forward? Yeah, uh, what they can continue to do is obviously, you know, continue to release all, all the songs that they have. Um, it's really important to keep the people's spirit high. And also, I would really recommend people to stay as anonymous as possible. Mm-hmm. Because some artists, they come like, um, they aren't anonymous and they take a stance and it, it really, uh, the military go out for them. And it's, it's like scary to know that like you can just, you can get arrested or killed just for expressing yourself. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm, right. And that's looking at the Burmese artist. You mentioned a bit about the Milk Tea Alliance and some of the hip hop that happened through collaboration with artists overseas. Have there been other overseas support from artists that you've seen since the coup? Definitely. I've, I've seen, especially like the hashtag Milk Tea Alliance it's, or like just the Milk Tea Alliance in general. If, if you check out the hashtag on Twitter, they, uh, we understand each other's struggles. You know, we, we're all going through this period of oppression and it's, it's really nice to see that everyone is so supportive of each other's struggles. Mm. And for people listening to this, for artists in other countries, what message would you like to give to them? What could, what further support could be shown from people with creative skills, whatever those are, that are in places of safety and able to use their voice, don't have to be anonymous? What do you think they could be doing to support your struggle now? Definitely, you know, it's great to talk about this situation that we have right now um great to raise awareness about the situation it would be because awareness could lead to donations that happen and right now Myanmar is going through a really horrible time and i feel like we could use a lot of donations right now um i already said this before but um the milk tea alliance rap really Mm. made me hopeful because it show that you know we're not alone in the struggle there's like other countries that are going through the same type of struggle that's one of them another one uh was during the protests i saw like a a lot of there were actually a lot of performances under like the minigun bridge Hmm. uh with a lot of young artists that just come together and do anti-coup art and there was this moment where, like, there was a band playing and everyone was singing along to an anti-coup song. And 
in that moment, I just really felt unified with like my people and. Yeah, that, that's 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 really beautiful to think about. And as this goes on, I think it really highlights the role that artists can play. And I think when the coup first broke in February and March, we just those were the months of large protests, and it just seemed that to show displeasure and resistance, everyone needed to be on the front line. Everyone needed to be out, and that no longer became safe. And um, there's still protests going on, but people have learned that there's ways of resisting in other ways than being on the front line, that everyone has their own talents and backgrounds and things that they can do. And that's true whether one is inside the country or outside the country in terms of how one can be involved and engage. And I think that as this has gone on, I think the, the, the Burmese artist community has definitely risen up and have seen, has, has seen and embraced the role that they can continue to carry as times get tough. And in some ways that can be counterintuitive because you can, you know, a pessimist can say, well, the artists aren't actually doing anything, but you can't really measure the, as you've said, the, the morale and the expression and the unifying sense of like, when you, when you hear, see really good art, the, the artist has tapped into something that's inside you that you didn't really know was there. And that they're able to put some expression to something of how you feel or how you think that, that you almost couldn't do yourself. And so this is an incredibly invaluable um, tool that can be provided by the artist community. Yeah, definitely. All right. So it's been great chatting with you about this. And before we close, or I should say after we close, we're going to be treated to the same song that we heard from the beginning of the podcast, Dictators Must Die is the name of the track by this rap against the junta. And this is this milk tea uh, alliance collaboration that you've referenced where we have five to six different rappers in different countries around the region that are rapping in English as well as their native languages and are speaking out against the current injustice taking place. So this is what we will close out with. Before we do so, can you share a bit about how this came together and some of the meanings behind uh, what these rappers are saying? Because in, when they're rapping in their native languages, uh, I know there's subtitles on the video, but listeners on the podcast might not understand it all. So this collaboration came together through the Rap Against Hunter Collective. Um, they contacted each each rapper from their respective countries and everybody just sent like a verse or two and then they combined it all together into one final product. Uh, most of these lyrics, you know, talk about this oppression that they've had from the government or military and um, some of it talk about how these politicians lie to them and they, they don't care about the people and and I remember one point in particular um, India rapped about uh, COVID and how like it's it's not 
they're not helping the situation at all. And I, that with that, I felt on a really like personal level because Myanmar is going through this bad COVID crisis as well, and we're not getting any help from the military. We're basically getting our oxygen supplies cut out as well. So yeah, with this song, a lot of the struggles and oppressions these rappers rap about, I felt on a personal level because we're, we're going through that as well. Mm, that's yeah. wonderful. Thanks for sharing that. And thanks for all the time that you spent today. I know you stayed up late there on your end to have this interview and <laughs> no really appreciate that. Really appreciate learning more about your background and the hip hop scene. And with that, let's go and listen to Dictators Must Die. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. No worries. Thank you for having me. After today's discussion, it should be clear to everyone just how dire the situation is in Myanmar. We are doing our best to shine a light on the ongoing crisis, and we thank you for taking the time to listen. If you found today's talk of value, please consider passing it along to friends in your network. And because our nonprofit is now in a position to transfer funds directly to the protest movement, please also consider letting others know that there is now a way to give that supports the most vulnerable and to those who are especially impacted by this organized state terror. If you would like to join in our mission to support those in Myanmar who are resisting the military coup, we welcome your contribution in any form, currency, or transfer method. Every cent goes immediately and directly to funding those local communities who need it most. Donations go to support such causes as the Civil Disobedience Movement, CDM, families of deceased victims, and the purchasing of protective equipment and medical supplies. Or if you prefer, you can earmark your donation to go directly to the guest you just heard on today's show. In order to facilitate this donation work, we have registered a new nonprofit called Better Burma for this express purpose. Any donation you give on our Insight Myanmar website is now directed to this fund. Alternatively, you can visit our new Better Burma website, which is betterburma.org, and donate directly there. In either case, your donation goes to the same cause, and both websites accept credit cards. You can also give via PayPal by going to paypal.me slash betterburma. Additionally, we can take donations through Patreon, Venmo, GoFundMe, and Cash App. Simply search Better Burma on each platform and you'll find our account. You can also visit either website for specific links to those respective accounts or email us at info at In all cases, that's Better Burma, one word, spelled B-E-T-T-E-R-B-U-R-M-A. If you would like to give in another way, please contact us. Thank you so much for your kind consideration. You've been listening to the Insight Myanmar podcast. We'd appreciate it very much if you could rate, review, and or share this podcast. Every little bit of feedback helps. You can also subscribe to the Insight Myanmar podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. If you can't find our feed on your podcast player, 
please just let us know and we'll ensure it can be offered there in the future. Also, make sure to check out our website for a list of our complete episodes, including additional text, videos, and other information available at insightmyanmar.org. And I also invite you to take a look at our new nonprofit organization at betterburma.org. There was certainly a lot to talk about in this episode, and we'd like to encourage listeners to keep the discussion going. Make a post, request specific questions, and join in on discussions currently going on on the Insight Myanmar podcast Facebook group. You're also most welcome to follow our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts by the same name. If you're not on social media, feel free to message us directly at info at insightmyanmar.org. Or if you'd like to start up a discussion group on another platform, let us know and we can share that form here. Finally, we're open to suggestions about guests or topics for future episodes. So if you have someone or something in mind, please do be in touch. We would like to take this time to thank everyone who made this podcast possible. Currently, our team consists of two sound engineers, Mike Bink and Martin Combs. There's of course, Zach Hessler, content collaborator and part-time co-host. Ken Pransky helps with editing and a special Mongolian volunteer who is asked to remain anonymous does our social media templates. In light of the ongoing crisis in Myanmar, a number of volunteers have stepped in to lend a hand as well. And so we'd like to take this time to appreciate their effort in our time of need. And we're always on the lookout for more volunteers during this critical time. So if you'd like to contribute, definitely let us know. We'd also like to thank everyone who has assisted us in arranging for the guests we've interviewed so far. And of course, we send a big thank you to the guests themselves for agreeing to come on and share such personal, powerful stories. Finally, we're immensely grateful for the donors who made this entire thing possible. We want to remind our listeners that the opinions expressed by our guests are their own and don't necessarily reflect the host or other podcast contributors. Please also note that as we are mainly a volunteer team, we do not have the capacity to fact check our guest interviews. By virtue of being invited on our show, there's a trust that they will be truthful and not misrepresent themselves or others. If you have any concerns about the statements made on this or other shows, please contact us. This recording is the exclusive right of Insight Myanmar podcast and may not be used without the expressed written permission of the podcast owner, which includes video, audio, written transcripts, or excerpts of any episodes. Also not meant to be used for commercial purposes. On the other hand, we're very open to collaboration so if you have a particular idea in mind for sharing any of our podcasts or podcast-related information, please feel free to contact us with your proposal. If you would like to support our mission, we welcome your contribution. During this time of crisis, all donations now go towards supporting the protest movement in Myanmar through our new nonprofit, Better Burma. You may give by searching Better Burma on PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, GoFundMe, and Patreon, as well as via credit card at betterburma.org donation. You can also give right on our Insight Myanmar website as all donations given there are directed towards the same fund. And with that, we're off to work on the next show, so see you next episode.
Militer di Myanmar dan Papua sama saja Tak puas serang warga dan tak pula sayang nyawa Kan tak pula saat malam yang berpulang akan datang Lihat kepulan nasa pada di kumpulan narak masa Yang dapat teratur berada tangan berbaur Gerak nasa berangsur Dan dibayar langsung palan tangan ke udara Kepala tegak penuh Luar sangkaran kajangkar Kami muak dengan mereka yang barbar Kami sasar sampai dasar Api dalam rimah siap bakar Mereka makar main kasar militer Naik pasar rebut altar Kami bongkar sampai akar Rimah pakar dari antar Pembuat bar untuk Myanmar Yeah, lemah bidu along ye bima tashin. Tenene cha song ko pita pita ya re ye bo ri min shi ma mian mian. Ya pa ma na long ai mo ti tap pyet de ai ma so ri du ma ma mat chin. Ya sin pyet kana so ri ma tai bi ya nya ri ya ta kong tat na ye. Pyet de kong tat taw mian li ma tru tat de long ni ko tai ye. Kong je ri ya ya ni na ko sue ga. Pan twa ri chao twa ri chou de ma. Na thong shi chi ko sou de la ge. Dan mo a du ni na ko de ba. Lemah bi jong ai na na ma pha ke de la. Ta bi long a du ko ye ngha ke da. Bi do man li ya sit da ka sha me so khon nen ta bi lu ya sa so Okay. 
us now yeah. We will fight till the end Yeah We fight for a real revolution You ain't the one but we the many So cut the crap cause you ain't shit Now we count down from 10 to 1 No more prostrating to a shameless We toss your love in the bin Yes man, just did we win Yeah